Howdy. This is Too Busy for Crypto. This podcast is for fans of cryptocurrency who want to increase their financial literacy and cryptocurrency literacy. None of this is financial advice. I am not an expert. I am an enthusiast. This podcast is for education. This episode is What are Stocks? Why discuss stocks? People can reason about the value of cryptocurrency if they understand typical investments like stocks. I will present three parts in this episode. Part 1. What are stocks and how are they supposed to work? Part 2. Some lesser-known realities of stocks and the financial industry. Part 3. What is the benefit of stocks as an investment? Let's begin. Part 1. What are stocks and how are they supposed to work? In the discipline of accounting, an account that holds assets must describe who has claim to those assets. There are two types of claims. Owner's equity and liabilities. Stocks are a form of owner's equity. Bonds and loans are liabilities. Companies have assets such as cash borrowed from banks and cash invested by owners. Banks expect their money back with interest. Owners expect their investment to stay in the business to fund the production of profits. Owners expect to receive a cut of profits in the form of a dividend payout or selling shares outright. Shares of company stock are a way to divide up the ownership claims among a large number of ownership interests. If a company has a million units of stock, a controlling interest would hold more than half a million shares. For a public company traded on the stock market, a regular person could buy one share and hold one millionth of the ownership interest. Stock shares theoretically confer voting rights. Stockholders may cast a vote per share to elect directors to the board of directors. The Board of Directors determines major company policies and appoints company officers like the Chief Executive Officer, CEO, who runs the company on behalf of the board. Stock shares theoretically confer dividend rights. If a company is profitable, the board determines how much of the profit will stay in the company and how much will be paid out as bonuses to officers and employees, and paid out as dividend payments to shareholders. Dividend payments are an incentive to hold the stock. When people are incentivized to hold the stock, then there is less selling activity in the market, which supports the stock price in an open market. If a company with a million shares makes $10 million in profits, the board might elect to distribute $1 million out of $10 million to stockholders as dividend payments. The majority owner will make over half a million dollars 
and the guy who owns one share will get one dollar. Those dollars are added to the uninvested cash in an investment account. Some dividends are taxed as long-term gains, and some as short-term gains. This is determined by the company who distributes the payments and reports the distribution. In a tax-deferred account like a company 401k or personal IRA, the stockholder does not pay taxes on the dividend income. Those accounts defer taxes until retirement age. In a personal brokerage account, which is taxable, the dividend payment is typically taxed. Regular people may buy or sell common stock in a public corporation that is traded on a stock exchange. There can be different classes of stock, but most regular people buy common stock. If a person manages to buy the stock at a low price and sell at a high price, those gains are called capital gains. Capital gains tax taxes gains on stock sales depending on whether the stock was held more or less than one year. 365 days or less is a short-term gain, and 366 days or more is a long-term gain. Short-term gains are taxed like regular income. Long-term gains are taxed at a lower rate like 15%. Wealthy people take advantage of the fact that long-term capital gains have a lower tax rate than ordinary income from a job. This matters for taxable accounts, not for tax-deferred retirement accounts. When a person buys low and sells high, that increase in price is called price appreciation or capital gain. When a person sells for less than they bought at, that is price depreciation or capital loss. The IRS has a limit on the amount of capital losses that may be claimed, but they expect all gains to be reported. If a person trades stocks frequently, there is a tax rule called the wash sale rule. This rule prevents a person from claiming a capital loss if the sale was made within 30 days either before or after a purchase. This rule puts the average person at a major disadvantage versus an institution. It is possible to trade thousands of dollars over thousands of transactions, make no profit after a year, and still owe millions in taxes if there were millions of dollars in both gains and losses, leading to a zero-profit year. There is some nuance to this, but it generally applies to all publicly traded securities, like stocks. Since stocks are assets that are purchased with currency, like the dollar, then, as an asset class, the whole asset class of stocks will increase in dollar value over time as the dollar itself loses value due to depreciation, which is a direct result of infinite money creation by banks to buy government bonds and to issue loans. When we see the stock market as a whole always going up over time, this is not because the companies are more valuable to humans, this is because the dollars used to buy the stocks are worth less to humans. 
However, the relative value of individual companies within the market versus each other does change. Increased productivity per person due to technology adds to gains, but inflation is most likely the main driver. The financial industry classifies public companies into different things called style categories, sectors, and indexes. This is a topic unto itself. A style category relates to the business finances. On a style category grid, one axis is small, medium, and large market cap. The other axis is value, blend, and growth. Market capitalization, or market cap, is a mostly stupid number that multiplies the number of shares times the price per share. This number is stupid because a company with a trillion dollar market cap can't be sold on the market for a trillion dollars. It would have to be bought in a private deal for a trillion dollars so the public investors do not sell off and drop the market price as soon as the intention to sell privately is announced. Market cap matters a little bit in the stock market, but it is a total nonsense number in crypto where you can't buy a whole decentralized currency. Back to style category. Besides market cap, the other grid axis is value blend and growth. Usually, a value stock is one that has been sold down to a price that is below the company's reported financial value. Sometimes, these are companies that no one wants to own. Sometimes, they have a conservative use of money or are not constantly growing. Growth companies are companies that reinvest profits into the growth of revenue rather than paying dividends. Growth companies are often deeply in debt because they spend money on anything that might increase total revenue. Sometimes, growth companies are highly priced because market hype increases the market buying versus selling. Blend companies are whatever fall between value and growth. They are typical companies. Stocks and companies are also classified by sector. Sectors have names like industrials, technology, and consumer staples. Sectors are used to look at general industries in the economy. The sectors are different sizes versus each other and versus other economies. Indexes are arbitrary groupings of companies based on whatever the index maker wants. For example, the ACWI index, ACWI, which means All Country World Index, tracks 99% of all publicly traded stocks around the world. It does not have to buy the stocks, it just tracks what they are doing, and reports it as a number value of relative performance called an index. An index is a comparison of things in the index currently versus what they were doing in the past. There are indices based on style category, and sector. The most well-known indices are the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 Index.
The Dow Jones Industrial Average is an index that adds up the stock price of 30 major companies, and the total is the index value. That's it. Not only is it not magic, but the companies that make up the index change. This is true for all indexes. The S&P 500 index represents the largest 500 publicly traded American companies. An index number describes either the relative proportion of components versus a whole, or a total value versus a benchmark value from a particular time in the past. For example, a benchmark could be the total value of the top 500 companies in the year 1957. That value is set to 100. When that dollar value doubles, the new index value becomes 200, because 200 is double the original arbitrary benchmark of 100. Some companies make indexes, and other companies create financial products based on the index. The index can represent fractions of stock, but the financial products that own stock must approximate the index with whole numbers of stock. Every stock listed on an index becomes something that a fund trying to match the index has to buy, so the fund needs a lot of money in it in order to buy everything. Index fund companies also track the index with a lag, because indexes are a real-time statistic, whereas stocks must be bought and sold by someone at a particular time, and not constantly all the time. A company that offers an S&P 500 index fund pays a licensing fee to Standard & Poor's for using their index, and then the index fund buys the stocks required to approximate the makeup of the index. The fund usually has some legal rule like 90% of assets must be invested in stocks in the index. Each fund is a company that owns things like stocks or bonds, and they issue shares of themselves to regular people. A regular person can purchase individual stocks directly, or he can get indirect exposure through a fund company. Exposure is financial jargon for risk and reward exposure. It means that whether you or someone else owns the actual asset, you own the gain or loss associated with the financial product. Everything I have said applies in particular to public companies, not private companies. A public company is one that has stock shares available for trade on a public exchange and is subject to reporting rules and other regulations to be a part of that exchange. The two largest and most well-known exchanges in America are the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE, and NASDAQ, NASDAQ. Public listing is a trade-off that allows a business access to money from the public markets in exchange for the stringent reporting requirements. When a company is public, they sell shares to an investment bank, and then the investment bank sells the shares on the secondary market, which is the stock exchange. The company itself never sells the shares directly to the public there is always an investment bank middleman in that process. 
the investment banks and the stock exchanges themselves are the middlemen that control what can happen in the market. Private companies must do private deals on a case-by-case basis, but they also do not have to subject themselves to public reporting requirements and other hoops to jump through. That is a rough summary of what stocks are and how stock ownership works in terms that a person commonly hears or reads about. Part 2. Some Lesser Known Realities of Stocks and the Financial Industry Stocks are an ownership claim on business assets. One way to understand what an ownership claim on a business is is to understand what happens during a liquidation. In the event that a business fails, it can go through liquidation. Liquidation is when illiquid assets like equipment, inventory, and real estate are made liquid by selling them for cash. The priority order of who gets paid first during a liquidation says a lot about stock ownership. The priority of liquidation distribution is secured creditors get paid first, then unsecured creditors, then preferred stockholders, and last, common stockholders. Did you notice how common stockholders are last on that list? Yes, that's you. You are last. This is because, as beneficial owner of the company through stock shares, you must allow all the unpaid bills to be paid that drove the company into liquidation. What is preferred stock? Preferred stock offers a higher dividend and voting rights, but trades at a fixed price or a much higher price than common stock. Sometimes, common stock has voting rights, but nowadays it often does not. Whether common stock receives dividends usually relates to whether the company is run as a value company or a growth company. Who are these secured and unsecured creditors? Secured debt is based on contracts, like loans or bonds. Banks and other contract lenders expect to get their money back first. In order to borrow the money, the business promised its assets as collateral in the contract. Unsecured debts could be reputation-based bonds called commercial paper, or lawsuits, or IRS tax liens. The main thing here is the liability claims are prioritized before ownership claims. Stocks are ownership claims, and owners must take a back seat to liability claims. This liquidation priority shows where some of the risk lies in owning stocks. What about voting rights? Voting rights used to be a big deal for stockholders. As time goes on, regular people lose the ability to vote based on ownership of common stock. These voting rights are given to other classes of stock, like preferred stock, that the general public does not hold, usually. This tactic is not really necessary because the way to control a company has always been to have the most controlling shares and therefore control over the board. Usually, this is settled when a company is private, before it goes public, 
or when a public company is acquired by another company. Individual investors have virtually no say, but fund managers have a lot of voting power. Mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, ETFs, own lots of stocks. Most people buy shares of funds, and the funds use that money to buy voting shares of companies. The giant companies that run the funds get to decide how to vote with all the shares that they acquired using customer funds. They don't ask the customers how the customer wants to vote. Fund managers and investment banks, both public and private, do this. Some of the usual names are BlackRock, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Chase, State Street, Bank of New York Mellon, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, Vanguard, and so on. Now for the best part. If you think you own stock directly, you don't. You have a claim on a stock held by the DTCC. The DTCC is the Depository Trust Clearing Corporation. It is the registered owner of most publicly traded securities. It owns all the shares of stock and much more. Long ago, the exchanges all decided to have a single entity be the registered owner for all securities so that they could skip the step of changing the registered owner and just change the beneficial owner. People who think they own stocks own nothing and rely on the continuing benevolence of a central authority that is controlled in secret. The industry claims this centralization protects investors and is more safe and secure. You have probably heard that line before. Another fun fact. Congress and the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, have ceded most regulatory authority to SROs. Investopedia describes a self-regulatory organization, SRO, as an entity such as a non-governmental organization which has the power to create and enforce standalone industry and professional regulations and standards on its own. Some major SROs are the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE, the Financial Planning Association, FPA, Chicago Board of Trade, CBOT, American Council of Life Insurers, ACLI, Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, Inc., FINRA, Fixed Income Clearing Corporation, FICC, and the Options Clearing Corporation, OCC. All certified financial advisors and mainstream financial media are required to tell you whatever SROs say is legal to tell you. SROs and the SEC initiate civil legal actions rather than criminal actions. If someone manages to ignore SROs and the SEC, then the matter is referred to the Department of Justice, DOJ, where criminal charges and prison time can occur. Certified financial advisors and mainstream financial media are not going to be forthright about how the system really works because they are not going to anger the people who control what they can say and if they can work. Even if people in the industry were brave enough to be truthful, 
Many of them don't actually understand how the system works. On top of that, most customers prefer to remain oblivious and let someone else tell them where to put their money. Middlemen know people like to be lazy and not learn things, so they take advantage of that by convincing everybody that they are necessary and that they know what they are talking about. Real cryptocurrency solves for this, but fake cryptocurrency perpetuates this. I have just discussed some lesser-known realities of stocks and the financial industry. Part 3. What is the benefit of stocks as an investment? There is a financial saying that goes, Capital flows to where it is treated best. There is also a financial saying known by the acronym TINA. There is no alternative. TINA refers to stocks. Money will find its way to whatever has the best risk-to-reward ratio. In traditional finance, this is stocks. Stock markets are less than half the size of bond markets. Newly printed money by central banking flows first into the bond market and then finds its way into the stock market. Stock markets are riskier and more speculative. Bond prices are anchored by bond math to the interest payments they provide. Dividend payments by stocks bear some similarity to bonds. The lower a dividend payment on a stock, the more likely it has higher price volatility. Volatility refers to how rapidly the price can change, and by what percent of the original price. The industry uses specific math formulas for historical volatility and implied future volatility to price financial products like futures and options, which are forms of price insurance. A large component of the insurance pricing involves standard deviation, which is a statistical representation of how volatile the underlying asset is, in terms of now versus the past. Price volatility in stocks simply means the price can change a lot. It can go up a lot and down a lot. Stocks are an asset denominated in a dollar that constantly loses value. As a result, the dollar price of stocks tends to go up with inflation. Inflation is a certainty, and the inflation numbers we are told by authorities are always an underestimation. Inflation pushes up the price of all stocks over the long term, but volatility creates big swings over the short term. This gets to the essence of TINA, which is comparing a long-term certainty versus short-term uncertainty. If money sits in a bank, it constantly loses value. Bank deposit interest and interest on certificates of deposit are a joke compared to inflation. If a bank CD pays 2%, but inflation is 7%, then the real yield is negative 5%. Understanding negative real yield drives a lot of smart investors into stocks. Tina comes from seeing negative real yield everywhere. If an investor buys specific bonds, the interest rates are fixed. Old bonds 
lose market value if a new bond comes out with a higher interest rate. Bond funds keep buying new bonds as old bonds expire. This is called turnover. The price of bond fund shares drops when new bonds are issued with higher interest rates. The fund loses share price and pays more interest by turning over old bonds for new. The reverse happens when interest rates decline. Investors look at this seesaw of bond price versus bond yield and say, Tina, there is no alternative to beat inflation or the market other than stocks. If someone invests in a volatile market like stocks, they are historically more likely to lose money if they try to predict highs or lows of the market. People who buy and hold tend to do better. The richest public investors on earth all profess a buy and hold mentality that takes advantage of compound interest. When someone needs to pull money out of stocks, they would rather do it when stock prices are high. This is why people nearing retirement age who are expecting to withdraw money are advised to have some money in assets like bonds that have a lower likelihood of dropping 50% in price and taking years to recover. Financial advisors are required to call bonds a more conservative investment than stocks. During major market sell-offs, both stocks and bonds can lose value. But since bonds are likely to not drop as much, they are classified as more conservative. People that have retirement accounts are restricted to buying and selling certain securities like stocks and bonds. With an IRA, individual retirement account, at a brokerage, a person can buy individual stocks or bonds or options or mutual funds or ETFs. A person with a 401k, which is administered by their employer, can only choose from a very limited set of mutual funds. In the case of something as restrictive as a 401k account, the options are limited to some stock funds, some bond funds, some target date funds that have both stocks and bonds, and a so-called stable value account that preserves the dollar amount but does not beat inflation. 401k funds sometimes have the advantage that an employer provides a limited matching contribution, which is like free money. Many 401k plans sneak in funds that have something called a front-end load or a back-end load that takes a cut of your money just for purchasing a particular fund or selling a particular fund. Those are called Class A and Class B mutual funds, and then there's also a Class C mutual fund that charges an annual fee just for being in. This does not exist when buying stock or ETFs, so it is something to watch out for with mutual funds, particularly in 401k options. ETFs and mutual funds do have what's called an expense ratio, which is a fee that is taken out on an annualized basis, and that is different from directly buying stocks where there is no expense ratio fee for running the fund and doing marketing. Understanding fees is part of understanding real yield. Nominal yield, or named yield, is what somebody says an investment is going to do, but real yield is 
what happens when you back out all the costs, such as inflation and fees. When selecting a limited offering of mutual funds, it helps to understand stocks versus bonds at a basic level and to be able to differentiate what type of stock funds are offered. They are usually based on style category and geography, large, mid, small cap, value, blend, growth, U.S. versus developed markets versus emerging markets. There are some macroeconomic factors that a person will want to educate themselves on when taking an active approach of self-advising how to choose stocks versus bonds or choosing among styles or geographies. Three major macroeconomic factors that a person might want to look at are 1. Are all interest rates trending up or down? 2. Are treasury bond yields spread normally or compressed or inverted on a yield curve? 3. How is the dollar trending up or down versus other currencies? Interest rates relate to the cost of capital to run businesses, so higher interest rates are more stressful for businesses that rely on borrowing. I will not discuss the treasury yield curve in this episode. That is a topic for bonds. The dollar versus foreign currencies matters if a person is comparing U.S. stocks, Europe and Japan stocks, or emerging market stocks. An American who buys foreign stocks when the dollar is losing value will see some benefit because the foreign stocks are based on their home currency, which is doing better than the dollar. When the dollar gains value versus foreign currencies, the foreign stocks appear to lose value to Americans. In general, I think the order of useful information is interest rates, then bond yields, then currency exchange. All of these are affected to a large extent by central banks, like the Federal Reserve, so it is good to understand what they are doing versus what they are saying. An investor can be active and attempt to understand trends, or he can choose to be a passive investor and ignore trends entirely. When saving for the future, the strategy of dollar cost averaging ignores trends. Dollar cost averaging is when a person saves a fixed amount of money at regular intervals regardless of what the market is doing. Over time, investors that DCA will keep a lower cost basis than if they try to guess when the market dips. To recap, what is the benefit of stocks as an investment? In general, a person who is putting money into a retirement account who is not retiring soon can benefit from owning stocks or stock funds due to global currency depreciation making the total stock market more valuable in dollar terms over time. In traditional markets, stocks see higher returns than other securities, but higher risk to the upside comes with higher risk to the downside. Conclusion Stocks are securities that represent shares of an ownership claim to a company. Public companies issue stock on public exchanges. The DTCC owns most U.S. public securities and is the registered owner of all U.S. public stocks.
the average person is listed as a beneficial owner. The system is completely centralized and self-regulated by the financial industry. Stocks are popular assets to buy with brokerage accounts and retirement accounts because they tend to beat inflation and beat returns for other assets available for those account types. The trade-off for high price appreciation is high price volatility. Remember Tina, why people believe Tina, and what Tina people do. This concludes this episode on stocks. In future episodes, I will discuss other asset classes, and I may discuss more about stocks. I hope my discussion helps you to better understand or articulate some of these ideas. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.